Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, October 10, 2021. It focuses on the joys and difficulties of serving as a pastor. Joining Pastor Mike Neifert are two other pastors, members of this congregation, who love Jesus and his church and want to see God's kingdom come. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, as you can tell. We have more than one person up here for the message. We have finished up Matthew, and so rather than transition immediately into Mark with all the ladies gone to retreat, we're going to try something a little bit different. I have never done this before. Have you done this before? No. Have you? No. Okay. We're going to try to keep three preachers from going way past noon. We're going to talk about the things that we love about being pastors and the things that are difficult. So just kind of give you a little bit of insight. We'll hopefully bring some of God's word to you as we do so. We're going to try to have a conversation about this, but each of us has ideas. And so we're going to start with those and kind of see where that goes from there. Uh, We have to limit each topic to about five minutes if we're going to get done in a half an hour. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us and care for us and that you want your word to accomplish in each of us exactly what you designed it to accomplish. And so I pray today that as Scott and Roy and I bring your word to your people, that they would be encouraged and trained and rebuked and whatever needs to take place. And God, do the same in us because we have to sit under your spirit's leadership as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as each of you step up, you can kind of introduce yourselves briefly, kind of tell you a little bit of your experience, and we'll go from there. Well, good morning. My name's Scott Rose. I've been a pastor full-time for 17 years, served in four different churches, and I started out part-time in California, and then I've served in Kansas and Ohio, and it's it's a privilege, and I got to tell you, The reason I'm a pastor, two reasons I'm a pastor. One, because I love Jesus. Second reason is because I love his church. And when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about the place we go to on Sunday morning. I'm talking about who we are as we gather together. You know, and I think that is the most important thing of all. I think you guys would agree with that, that if, if we just get up and go to church, yeah, we go to church. But if we come together to gather as the church, Something special happens. And it's in that gathering that I have found some of the the biggest thrills of my life, things that I absolutely love, but I've also sadly experienced some of my greatest disappointments. And when Mike brought this to me, I'm sitting there going, oh, good golly, you know, what do you hate about the church? Well, let me start making a list. <laughs> no, I just, just so you know, I didn't say what do you hate about the church. <laughs> no, I'm just saying what is it that's difficult about I'm being a pastor? Difficult about being a pastor. <laughs> uh, let, let me let me start making a list. And and I, I it really took me. I don't think I got back to you really till Friday. I had a bunch of ideas running around in my head. You know, the one thing that I found to be probably the most difficult for me as a pastor was. Sometimes just the lack of commitment and caring that I saw from some people in some churches for who were called to minister to. Remembering that being the church, 
the body of Christ, we're, we're called not just to come here and pat each other on the back and glad at each other on, on Sunday mornings, you know, which is all good. I love it. I love hugs and I love shaking hands and the, the fellowship that takes place. But the, the, the idea that, you know, why is it that so many of our churches are empty? Because I think it's for, we forgot our mission. And, and our mission is one first and foremost, two things. And it comes out of my passage that I chose this morning to illustrate this is out of Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. And now you remember that, right? Jesus is sitting there, this guy, this uh, teacher comes to, to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what are the greatest two commandments? Jesus rattles them off. Well, he asks Jesus, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, Hey, what are the two command, greatest two commandments? Well, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well said. But the guy wanted to justify himself. This guy came and he had an agenda. Because he wanted to justify himself. Well, Jesus says, well, let me tell you this story. And I'm, I'm going to read these verses out of Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30, going through 37. And Jesus replies to him. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for every expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is what gets me, because I ran into this in a lot of churches where people try to justify themselves for not helping certain people. I've heard every excuse in the book. You know, you really don't know those people. You don't know what they're into. You don't, you don't know the kind of life they live. Have you ever been inside their house? I heard one that just blew me away one day. An elder in a church that I serve came to me and told me, he says, Scott, we really appreciate the fact that you're helping these people. We really do. But you know what? They're not the ones that can keep the doors of this church open. You need to go find people with money. You know how far my heart sank? I had a few choice words, but I had to choose them very carefully. We pass by people every day. And we're very prone to going to the other side of the road so that we don't have to interact with them. And that's what these guys were doing. And this is what Jesus was calling out this teacher of the law about. Who is this guy's name? The one who helped him, the one that reached out to him, the one who was willing to do it. And isn't it amazing that the one that did it was the one that was hated the most among them, the Samaritan? You know, as we go, as we go out each day, I think we're encouraged. Jesus encourages us. Who is the people that Jesus gathered with? The very ones that the religious leaders of the day were ignoring. The, the righteous people were ignoring. The holy people were ignoring. 
the good person that attended synagogue every Sunday or every Saturday. You know, it's a shame and it's, and it's heartbreaking for us as a church. When we look around, we wonder why there's nobody here. But maybe the people we're looking for aren't the people that dress like us and act like us. Maybe they're the people with the, the tattoos and the earrings and the piercings and the scraggly hair. But I want to tell you, now, this is the thing that I love also, guys. I can't stick on that. I mean, because a lot of times we look around and we do see those people. But, you know, the one thing that I, I love is the fact that oftentimes we find ourselves in situations as a church where we get to come together and do something that's absolutely amazing. My best memories were in the church when I was in California. We go down to Mexico every summer. And the marginalized people, they call them mestazos. They're the indigenous people of Mexico that the rest of the Mexicans look down on. That doesn't happen in America, right? <laughs> nah, not even close. But, you know, and we would go down and we would spend a week down there and we'd build a house for a family. And, you know, the joy that came from planning that, coming together, and just reaching out and, and loving these people, driving down there, hauling all the lumber, all the materials that we needed to do this, and go down there and, and love these people. And it reminds me of the verse in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32, going through 37. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And you know, what, what's so amazing about that story is just these guys, as they're being drawn together by the Spirit, realizing the love and the encouragement that they have for one another, they began doing whatever it takes to make sure that nobody was suffering, nobody was in need, or if anybody was going to suffer, they were all going to suffer together because they were going to take at least what they had and make sure that they could bring somebody up to their same level. We have the ability to do that. On the one side where we can cross the road on the other side and ignore the people and make every excuse why we did it, or we could just say, hey, you know what? I may not have the time or the means or the ability to do it right now, but you know, I see a need. Let me call the rest of my brothers and sisters together and see what we can do to help somebody. And, and just love them. And, and wrap our arms around them. Folks, as we're thinking about this, I absolutely love the fact that sometimes I've seen the church shine so brightly to reach out and help people and meet others' needs. It just amazes me. And, and my heart is lifted up. I've experienced both paradigms, the sinking in the heart and then the lifting up of the heart. But you know what the key is? And this is really what I want to leave you with. And it's Jesus' words to his disciple out of uh, Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come to his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here it is. When we run across people, when we experience these things in our life, the question is, what's it really about? I can make it about me or I can make it about them. To make it about me really means to deny them to deny Christ. But to make it about them means that I have to deny myself, glorify Jesus, and love my neighbor. I don't know about you guys, but I think those are the greatest things in, in being a pastor. Well, it's interesting that my hate it or my difficulty really relates a lot to what Scott was talking about. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, and it says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. We have people who come, especially here in Pratt, there's two or three highways come through here. And there's people who will come to every church in town and try to get help and i have no problem at all it's super easy for me to give to people i know and i know their situation and i know them and love them and care about them but then we have these strangers who come through town and i've been taken advantage of numerous times i'm supposed to send them to the hope center because they can sort through all that stuff but that in my mind doesn't relieve me of my responsibility before god because God has said, you know, don't turn away from the one that wants to borrow you. If somebody needs a shirt, give them a coat too and all that kind of stuff. And so I feel this personal responsibility in those circumstances. But I also want to be discerning and it's really difficult to sort things out. I had one time where a family came to town. They wanted a $50 family meal. There was quite a few of them, so that wasn't a problem. So I bought the family meal for them. And then somebody that I knew at the time was working on that ship, saw the whole thing take place, knew that I was helping this family out. Well, sometime later they came back and made demands about, you know, their food wasn't up to snuff. And so they were going back and getting more and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, those kind of stories make it really hard. But I still remember what Jesus has said. <laughs> And we're supposed to give without worrying about that kind of thing, but it's really hard. It's really difficult. I'm just telling you, that's one of the hardest things for me. And I'm reminded of uh, uh, James chapter 1, verse 5. This is what I have to keep going back to, which says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In those circumstances, I just really need discernment. And you can pray for me in those circumstances. They don't happen every week. They don't happen every month. But sometimes they happen, and I try to encourage people to go to the Hope Center, but it seems like every single time, hey, have you checked with the Hope Center? Oh, yeah, but they wouldn't help me. So, anyway, I'm sure that I need to pray more in those circumstances and seek God for that. And I want to remind you that the commands of the Bible are not just for pastors. 
they're for you as well. And so when you have those opportunities, you can be asking God what he wants you to do as well. Man, that's a huge relief. Yeah, I know. So uh, if you've been put in those kind of circumstances, you need to listen to God and be discerning and give as generously as God leads you to give. Um, that's what I try to remind myself is I'm going to be as generous as God tells me to be generous. Even if the Hope Center tells me or the people tell me, send them to the Hope Center, well, ask them if they've been to the Hope Center and if they say yes and we haven't helped them, then don't help them. I'm still gonna try to pay attention to God on those. It seems like every church that I've been to has been on a highway and that tends to attract people who are looking for that kind of help. And so, you know, there, there's lots of things that I have sent, lots of people who I have sent to the Hope Center who have been helped through there and other times when they're just going around to every church in town and getting turned down here and there and been turned down by the Hope Center because they continue to take advantage of the system. And it's just a really hard discernment kind of thing to do. That's my thing. Anything you guys want to add to that? I was actually scammed by a guy for a couple hundred dollars when I didn't have a couple hundred dollars to give. Yeah. And this guy was really a professional doing it. But later, <clears throat> unbeknownst to him, I worked for him and he paid me back far more than he took from me. Yes, it's, discernment's hard in those areas. I've been up against that myself. And I guess one of the things a pastor told me once, always err on the side of grace. Always err on the side of generosity. Always err on the side of giving. If you're not sure, go for it. You know, I really feel blessed today because the right side is the sheep side. The left side is the goat side. And so I was on the right side. So. And I just want to uh, tell you one thing about this call to pastoral ministry. When I married Ruthanna, she did not want to be a pastor's wife. One month after we were married, the Lord called to me and said, Roy, I want to talk with you. And so I told her I was going to go spend some time with the Lord. And she carried on in the kitchen, you know, unbeknownst to her, the Lord reaffirmed my call to ministry. I came out and told her, and we haven't had a moment's peace since. <laughs> anyway, you know, I could add much to, to the stories that have been told. And actually, I think I like all aspects of pastoral ministry, but some are more difficult than others. By the way, I usually use my uh, cruise control. It keeps me out of a lot of problems. And so I've got things written down. This is my cruise control for this. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, some, some aspects of pastoring are more difficult than others. And there's a couple of difficult subjects I could choose from, but I've chosen dealing with a damaged relationship between two people in the church, especially when one insists that he or she knows what's best for the other person. I actually went through such a time, and on Easter Sunday morning to boot, it did not turn out well. So let's take a look at what Scripture says about how things really should go. First, let's look at 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, love each other 
deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Sounds great, doesn't it? Unfortunately, we can feel in our love for one another that if they would only do this or that, then their life would be so much better. That may work, but often, rather than gratitude, the taking of offense might be the end result. How could that be? Well, let's take a look at our second scripture, Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. By the way, I just really have to I commend Mike because he kept both of us. We would tell him scriptures, and he said, are you sure if that's the scripture you want? And you know, he, kept, he kept us in line there. Anyway. Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Often it's hard to see our own faults when we are focusing on the faults of others. Verse 7. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I believe the most important aspect of sharing heartfelt correcting encouragement with a brother or sister is to first have earned the right in that person's eyes to do such a thing that right comes from how you have treated that person and how you have lived your life in front of that person the last scripture we will look at is Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. Here Paul is dealing with a church squabble between two women in the flock. In dealing with this situation, Paul did not take sides. Have you noticed if there's a church squabble going on, all of a sudden people gather around here, people gather around here, and it's a back and forth. Paul didn't do that. Instead, he actually lifted up both of the women. What focus did Paul want them to see? Paul told them to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. There's a couple important things here. First, focus on the Lord, not on the seeming problems, and keep your focus there. I did some speed skating back in, in younger days, and it was uh, 90 meters inside the roller drone, and they would have a cone, four cones around, and you'd come to the cone in front of you. If you focused on the cone in front of you, you would have to slow down and, and end up taking the curve wide. and slow. But if you focused on, not on the cone that's coming, but on the next cone, your body would automatically align yourself to take this cone much faster. You know, it's like that. If we focus on the problem, we're in trouble. If we focus on the solution, who is Jesus to the problem, it makes a lot of difference. Rejoicing in the Lord changes a person's viewpoint dramatically. This next part can have a double meaning. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Imagine yourself as one who feels offended. The Lord is near. He feels your pain. He knows your plight. Because Jesus showed forgiveness and grace to those who offended him, 
we too can show forgiveness and grace to our oppressors. On the other hand, imagine yourself as the one trying to give the loving correction. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Be graceful because God knows your heart. He knows if you are guilty of the same fault you see in another. That can happen so, so easily. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So be careful how you give and take correction. Make sure your life has earned the right to give it and be gracious to the one who is giving it. They really might have your best interest in mind. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We can afford to do this. As you were talking, I was reminded of Galatians chapter 6. The first five or six verses kind of give us similar instructions. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit, so there's a qualification there. If you're living by the Spirit, those who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. There's a gentleness. But watch yourselves. Are you also maybe tempted? So the next time you're going to need it, right? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anybody thinks that there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. So you, that's the plank in the eye thing there. And so just a good reminder that when we're correcting, we need to make sure that we're listening to the Spirit and make sure that the Spirit's guiding us. Because I have messed more than one situation up by not waiting for the Spirit to give me guidance. So I uh, just thought of that. <laughs> and you're still a pastor, Jesus. I know. No, yeah. Good. No, yeah. no, and you know what I was thinking of was the idea that uh, the, the differences between judgment and admonishment. Where judgment condemns a person's faults, admonishment helps lead a person into recognizing where they're at fault. But again, it's like Mike and Roy both said, admonishment means that you're coming to that person in love. You're not condemning them for their actions, but you just, you point out their good qualities, but help them to see where they may need a little bit of work. It is really difficult when people are having trouble with each other. As a pastor, to be able to help discern how you can bring about peace, Sometimes you get called on to do that. Sometimes you don't get called on to do that, and they just bicker and fight, and neither one's paying attention. So um, that's one of those things that is difficult, uh, being a pastor. I've, I've found that the easy way to solve a really bad problem is get them both mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> With me, that happens naturally. <laughs> okay, what is the best part of pastoral ministry? That's a really big question. And there are many things. The thing that really charges up my heart is to watch the uh, Holy Spirit open up Scripture to me and allowing me to share what He has shown me with others. Look what we as pastors and teachers get to do. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. By the way, a large part of prophesying is to simply open the word of God to others. Be careful that you pay more attention to someone who shares God's word rather than to someone who focuses majorly on their own experience or 
what everyone else has to say. Why? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. In a day when there is tons of information that is just being thrown at us, it's so refreshing that God's word is still here, it's still plain, it's still solid. It's a shelter from the fiercest winds that can blow on us. It's an anchor in life's stormy seas. And how do I present God's word? Ephesians 4, 29, that's an excellent verse to memorize, says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our words carry much more responsibility than we imagine. We must choose and use our words carefully. Now I'm going to throw in freebie. I also love making relationships with other people, especially those who don't know Jesus. God has enabled me to be able to seek to find common ground with others, even people that I have never seen before I meet them. I might comment on the color of their hair, their tattoos, their car, the motorcycle they drive, their job, anything I can make some sort of connection with. Why? Because I want to eventually earn a hearing for Jesus in their lives. I want to be around them enough that they might be able to see Jesus in some way through my life. The pastor ministry for me is tailor-made to do just that because when people find I'm a pastor, it's not surprising to them that I would talk about Jesus. They actually expect it and in a way accept it better. They may seek to dodge out of there quickly, but always after that, they will be watching my life. Of course, that's true for any of us. Soon as someone knows you're a churchgoer, they are watching your life. I appreciate that. Um, bringing God's word is really awesome, and it's really fun when the Spirit speaks to us. Just an example, uh, when I was preparing for SCAMP, I came to this message about Saul and how he just kind of wandered off, and, and he, he uh, decided to do the sacrifices when they were supposed to wait for Samuel. And one of the things that I started wondering about is, what if he had waited? Would God have done something like he did with Gideon? Gideon, he had like thousands of people, and God said, nope, you got too many people. Get rid of a bunch of them until they got down to 300, and God used them to defeat this great army. And what would have happened had Saul, instead of doing what he wasn't supposed to do, if he had just waited, what Gideon-like thing might God have done in that circumstance? And so I just want to encourage you. Pay attention to God, wait for him, listen to him. And uh, that was just one of those things that as I was preparing for that message, God kind of brought to my mind. I thought, hmm, maybe God would have done something great through Saul if he had chosen to be obedient and being patient instead of jumping ahead. So let me uh, share with you the the one thing that I love about being a pastor. It says the in... Only thing? Huh? The only thing? The only thing that I like about it. <laughs> no, this is one of the things that I like the best. 
This is from 3 John, verses 3 and 4. There's only one chapter. So, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And it blesses me when I see someone following Jesus. When I hear rumors about people from uh, this congregation who are doing things sneakily, but evidently not sneakily enough because I heard about them, but it's really a blessing to see people caring for needs, standing firm in their faith while loving those who disagree with them. There is certainly a lack of love in the way that people deal with each other today. You can see that if you go on Facebook or Twitter or any of those places, they just don't care for each other. So it really stands out when Christians care about each other and it makes the message of Christ much more attractive when we choose to be loving in the way that we disagree sometimes. So when you share your testimonies with me and when you share those testimonies with the church about how God is using you or teaching you, how he's leading you, it's a blessing to me, and, and I sometimes get to hear those stories even though sometimes they don't come out in public. That's one of the things that I really love about being a pastor is just seeing how God's at work in each person's life. So that's a real encouragement to me. Uh, anything you guys want to add? I think it's absolutely amazing, Mike, when, when you get to experience those moments, you know, to see or hear the story of, of what somebody did. And I love it when you don't hear it from the person that did it. You know, you hear through the grapevine and uh, holy gossip. Holy, yeah, that, that's that's the only good kind of gossip. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful thing because you know sometimes as a pastor, depending on the situation you're in or your mood or something, it's easy to focus on the hated things or I don't like this, you know, and see everything that's wrong with the church but, or, or or with people. But we're all broken. The beauty is it's that in our brokenness, and I, I like to call it a beautiful brokenness, when we see those little things that, that are happening, and they're not really little because they're huge in the kingdom. Yeah. You know, I love to see my kids demonstrate, talk about the things of God. And it's, it's, a, it's a thing, same thing as being a pastor because uh, the congregation is basically the pastor's kids in a way. Well, let's pray together. I hope that you've enjoyed and that you learned. And uh, keep praying for us. We certainly need it because uh, we have our faults and we make mistakes and we say dumb stuff and we do dumb stuff. But sometimes we get it right, too. We're all in this together. We are the church together. And we just happen to have certain gifts that put us in this position. And uh, you keep using your gifts, we'll keep using ours, and we'll do all of it for the glory of God. And then someday we're all going to be together celebrating in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever where we don't have the hated parts anymore. We have the loving parts. We get to love Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thanks for these guys. And I pray your blessing on the Haynes family as they're getting ready to move. I pray your blessing on them as they go to... Colorado and bless the church there and I pray for Scott and his ministry with Youth Corps and the work that he does there and I have a blessing on him and his wife and just thank you God for this opportunity that we've had for the last several months to be together in one place and we look forward to the time when we'll be together forever in heaven worshiping and honoring you with those who have come to know Christ through your church and God, help us to be alert this week, all of us, not just pastors, but all of us be alert this week to what you're doing 
and who you want us to speak to and encourage. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.